We're going to head towards our series for today. And if you'd like to go ahead and turn, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, we'll read from the mid-portion of that chapter to the end of that chapter, okay? But so far, let's see if we can remember. Week 1, do you remember why Jesus came? It's a C word. Had to do with promises. All right, so he came to confirm the promises of God. All right, and in so doing, he extended mercy to the world. And the result is, for those who receive that mercy, there's joyous praise, right? God is glorified when those who know him delight in him. And so that was week one. Last week we talked about how he came to conquer. Remember that? He came to conquer the power of Satan. And he did that. And in so doing, as a part of that, he removed the fear of death for the believer. Uh, and he continues to do that to this day. And he also then gave us help. He says, when you're tempted, I'll help you because I can sympathize with your weakness. I've been there. I've felt your pain. I know what it is to struggle and suffer. Uh, and so I will aid you or come to your aid when you are in need. All right, you've got to look my direction and I will help you is uh, what Jesus promised uh, also out of Hebrews, that was chapter 2 last week. So this week we're going to be in Hebrews 9, and we're going to try to answer a third reason why Jesus came, all right? So comforter, conqueror, I couldn't think of a C word. So we're just going to say he came to do away with some things, all right? He came to do away with some things. Have any of you done away with some things recently? Like, is there anything that you can share in this context publicly that you've done away with? What's something you've done away with? Junk, okay? You know, we, did, we had a purging this summer, went through everything we own, and got rid of a ton of stuff, right? So, did away with some things. Anybody else something you've done away with? You know, my mom was telling me here last week, you know, she said here for the past, I don't know, four or five years, I'm going to buy a new Christmas tree. And every year, she never does, right? So she's the mom who cries wolf, right? And we just quit believing her. I'm getting a new tree this year. You've got to help me pick it out. No, you're not getting a new tree this year. Well, she ended up setting her tree out by the side of the road, okay? So the trash man came by and picked it up. So she was doing away with her Christmas tree. Uh, and that was her way of making sure that she had to go buy a new one now. And so she has, and I guess it's pretty, but... Uh, sometimes we do away with the old when something new comes in, right? Uh, so you've probably traded in an old car for a new car. Uh, at some point, you've probably traded in an old phone for a new phone. Right? Does anybody have the old phone still that you can... Is that rotary? I don't even know if that works anymore. Does that work on a standard telephone line? No, so that won't even work, all right? So I guess you don't have one of those. Um, but maybe you've upgraded from a corded phone to a cordless phone or a different brand of phone. Uh, so that tends to be, with technology, we're always upgrading, right? We upgrade around here computers. It seems like we upgrade every two or three years now. Like, they just don't last as long or there's new technology maybe that we'd like to have, something of that nature. Um, but we tend to upgrade. We tend to do away with the old when something new comes around. Sometimes this happens in a job. I was talking with a guy here about a month ago, and his goal is hopefully to finish out his time in his job. Hopefully his job won't end before he retires, uh, as in the newspaper business, right? And so he was just, get me to retirement. And so his 
numbers of papers have decreased because the internet information and television news is all that's on the rise and so people are getting their news in a lot of different fashions now. And so the old is being done away with and in its place now is coming this new, all right? Not that the old was bad, there's just a different way or maybe a newer uh, way of doing things. So all the time this happens. What about an article of clothing? Anybody done away with some clothes recently? Okay, so I see some hands here. Yeah, shoes, maybe purses or a tie, something like that. You've done away with something? Yeah. When you watch, I haven't watched any, but usually this time of year when you see the experts on TV like Good Morning America or the Today Show or something like that, the people who are telling you how to manage your life, they'll say when Christmas rolls around and you get all this stuff, for every new item you get, you need to get rid of one old item. So if you get a new shirt, get rid of an old one. Right? You get new shoes, get rid of an, an old one. You get a new purse, get rid of an old one. Right? You get a new spouse, <laughs> get rid of the old one. Right? For some people, that's probably their New Year's resolution. That doesn't line up with what we believe at all. But uh, unfortunately, that's where we live in. Right? New Year, let's try something different. Uh, so we're not handing out shirts today. Okay? We're not handing out uh, stuffed animals or some kind of toy. We're definitely not uh, handing out spouses. But we are going to talk about something new that has come that was a furthering of the old. And in its place, the, the, what we've received is amazing. All right? So this has to do with Jesus came to do away with some things. All right? He came to do away with some things just like you and I have done away with some things, only on a much more significant level. So Hebrews chapter 9 is where we're going to go. And if you'd like to follow along, uh, the text is it's obviously on the wall. You can follow along in your Bible as well. Uh, as we begin here in verse 11 in just a minute. But here you've got the author of this letter. The beginning of it, he's talking about how there was an old covenant, and the old covenant was replaced by the new covenant, okay? And there was this old way of doing things, a sacrificial system. We'll hit that really quickly. And then there was this new way of doing things, which would be through Jesus Christ. Uh, so he came to do away with some things. He came to confirm promises. He came to conquer the power of sin and Satan. And then here today we're going to talk about how he has come as a sacrifice uh, to do away with some things. So follow along here if you'd like. It says, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that's not made with human hands. That is to say it's not a part of this creation. So he didn't come into an existing tabernacle. This was something far better. It was always existing. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, as the priests would have, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially, uh, ceremonially unclean, they sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Okay, that's an important phrase there. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more then will he cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Right? We still live by this principle today. Because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. 
This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. So the first covenant didn't have its authority until the priest, Aaron and his sons, went through and sprinkled every, all the utensils and prepared the holy and the most holy place and they sprinkled the people. Then it was kind of ratified by blood, all right? So the first covenant was put into effect with blood. And when Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. And he said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood, with the blood, both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things, that's everything that was situated in the tabernacle, to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Okay? And so let's work our way through this, uh, through this portion of Scripture. A lot of these things really point to one central truth. We're going to spend a lot of time on verse 26. Um, and we'll be in several verses throughout the gospel here as we progress through why he came. Um, but a few things that we'll note today, if you'd like to follow along uh, on your bulletin, you can. You don't have to at all. But uh, if you'd like to, it's there for your benefit, all right? So let's talk here initially. Initially, Jesus came, all right, to offer himself as, capital T, the sacrifice, all right? Lots of sacrifices offered before him. The job of a priest was a bloody job. That's what you worked in all day, all right? Specific priests, that was their job. You just offered sacrifice after sacrifice on the altar, um, covering, trying to cover over the sins of the people. So before Jesus came, there was a system in place, and you probably know this, the sacrificial system, and could that system take away people's sins? No, that system couldn't take away sin. It simply covered over sin, atoned for, until the sacrifice came who then would do away with sin. Right? So when Jesus has done away with sin, he's done away with it from the past and the present, and even those sins that you and I have yet to commit or those who are yet to be born will commit. Uh, so the sacrificial system used blood, blood of goats and calves, and we read about that here just a minute ago. And how it would work in a real simple way, if I had sinned, I would bring in an animal that was unblemished, pure animal. I'd place my hand on its head, and that was symbolic. My sin symbolically is going into that animal, and that unblemished animal then, I'm now taking on that purity. And then that animal's blood is shed and it was sprinkled or depending on what the sacrifice was, it may have been rubbed on the horns on the altar. The blood may have been spilled out on the sides of the altar. Some of the blood may have been taken in uh, to the holy place. Right? There's lots of different 
offerings or sacrifices that were given there. But in a real simple way, where there was sin, there had to be bloodshed. Right? That's how God set things up. So whether we would have set it up that way or not is irrelevant. Right? God said this is how it's going to be. And he determined that ultimately he was going to pave the way for his son to come through the symbolism of the blood of bulls and goats. So their blood simply prepared the way for the one who was yet to come. So let's go back and read that again. Verse 26 says, But he, speaking of Jesus, he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. All right, so this is initially why he came. He came to offer himself as the sacrifice, right? So we could say that Jesus, born in the manger, was born to die, right? That's why he came. That was his intentional purpose. So God, again, remember, he's not interested in busy work. It's not, son, go occupy yourself with some things for a while. This has always been in the mind and heart and plan of God. He knew we would sin. He knew we would need a sacrifice for our sin. He knew ultimately his son would need to be that sacrifice, that his son would come and be that sacrifice uh, to take away sin of the world. And so all the previous sacrifices simply pointed to the one who was to come. So help me out. Was the life of Jesus tragically taken? When he was crucified on a cross, was it just tragically taken? No. All right, it wasn't taken, it was given. You know, sometimes when people close to us pass away, we say, oh, they were gone too soon. Right? You've heard that phrase? I wish I just had a little bit more time. We all wish we would have had just a little bit more time. Absolutely. So we might say, man, Jesus was gone too soon. But what Scripture tells us is he was gone just right. Right? I mean, if he was and is God, didn't he say, I can call as many angels as I need to to take care of me right now. Right? The only reason you have power over me is because God my Father has given you the authority to crucify me. And if that had not been the case, you know, I could, uh, I could really wreck your world here. And so he had not come to do that. He had come to offer himself as the final sacrifice, just as the Scripture says there. He has appeared once for all. That means it's final. Okay? Once for all doesn't mean he came to die for all people. That's true in other contexts, but that's not what this verse here specifically is implying. Once for all means he's the final sacrifice. No longer is there any blood needed. This is like the climax of a movie. You know when you watch a good movie and it's just drawing you in, kind of sucking you in and your emotions are getting into it and the music's really going and everything just seems to come to this great peak. Right? This is the climax. This is what it says right here. For all the culmination of the ages. At the culmination of the ages is when Jesus came at the right time to offer himself as the sacrifice. So why did he appear? He appeared to offer himself as, as a sacrifice. And we'll see here that this has connectors all the way through. There's a process uh, to the sacrifice. So initially he came to offer himself as the sacrifice. Let's go to here. Secondly, as the sacrifice, then he came to take away the sins of the world. So before this time, we just said it, sins weren't taken away. They were covered over, but they weren't removed. We weren't guiltless. That happened at the cross. And so through the sacrificial death of Jesus, he's taken away the sins of the world. So what does it mean that he's taken away the sins of the world? Anybody have a, what's your thinking on that? 
they're removed or forgotten, okay? You think he's got them stored up in a box somewhere? Top shelf, sins of the world. Yeah, I hope not, right? That box could be reopened. Scripture doesn't teach that, right? So let's get clear about what it means here, and you're right on track. To take away the sins of the world simply means that in the sacrifice of himself, the price for sin has been paid. Right? It's been covered. It's been dealt with. And that happened at the cross. And so now he's saying that that power of sin in anybody's life can be broken. Right? It can be done away with. And so when he came to take away sin, he took away its dominion. He took away its power. Right? He took away its influence for those who would receive his spirit. So let's read it here again. He's appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin. Okay? How did he start the process? He started it by the sacrificing of himself. Through the sacrificing of himself, he's now able to do away with sin. Uh, lots of other texts support this as well, and we'll read a few of these here together this morning. Uh, so let's go to John, uh, one of his letters here. This is 1 John chapter 3. John writes and says, but you know that he appeared. That is, he came. Why did he come? You know that he came so that he might take away our sins. Right? That is, in part, a significant reason why he came. He came to confirm. He came to conquer. But he came to do away with sin as well. And to do that, he sacrificed himself initially. And now we see here how he's working to take away that sin. Paul writes about this as well. And we see the process better in Colossians 2, he says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has what? He's taken it away. What's he taken away? All right, these legal charges against us, the indebtedness that we had because of our sin, Right? If I'm indebted to somebody, it means I owe that person something. I've taken something or I have earned something. Right? The Bible says for the wages, the earnings of sin is, is death. All right? So I've earned that through my sin. And what Paul writes to these believers says, forgiveness has come because Jesus has taken my legal indebtedness to God and he's taken it away. How did he take it away? What's the last five words? He nailed it to the cross, okay? So he came to offer himself as a sacrifice. He did that through the cross, and in the cross, he has taken away sin. Make sense? Right? Some of these things may be simple principles or things that you know already, but these are good reminders for me as I think about why he came. I love the tree and the lights and the wreaths and the bows and the songs and the weather. I love all these things. But what really stirs my heart is the reminders like this right here, why he actually came. He's beautiful on a manger, uh, but he's, he's glorious uh, on a cross. He's glorious in an ascension, right? He is glorious as a conqueror. He's glorious here as the one who has taken away what was rightfully mine, what I couldn't do anything else with. And he said, I'll nail this thing to the cross and he did that very thing. And so through his sacrifice, he would take away our sins. John the Baptist wrote about this. 
Uh, let's get here. John 1, he says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God. What's he doing? He's taking away the sins of the world. All right? So back in our Hebrews text, once for all meant that he was the culmination, the final sacrifice. Here, behold the Lamb of God. Now he's talking how broad it is. Right? Any person who would breathe the breath on this planet would need salvation, at least to have that extended their direction. And here John says, here he comes. This is the one who will take away the sins of the world. And so Jesus came to offer himself as a sacrifice, and he did so on the cross. And in so doing, he's taken away sin. All right? And he's taken away the sins of the world. Now, is taking away the sins of the world the whole story? You've got to know there's more, right? Because we're only at point two. You know, last night I was encouraged just to do a one-point message today. But I've got to do three for whatever reason. So let's get to three. If through the sacrifice of Christ, he is nailed and dealt with, taken away the sins of the world, is everybody on the planet saved? How can that be? If he's dealt with all sin, he's taken away all sin at the cross, how can there still be people who are sinners? You know how. Because there's a partnership here. We don't do anything among ourselves to save or change ourselves, but he also doesn't force us to receive what it is that he's done on our behalf. And so this is why the New Testament over and over and over again calls sinners everywhere to repent. He's taken away the sins of the world. That means everybody has the opportunity to be saved. A little sixth grader asked me this week, do you think everybody on the planet has the chance to be saved? And I said, yes, sir. You really believe that, Mr. Penn? He said, yes, I do. And we pointed a text like this because the Bible says so. Everybody can be saved. Well, what about a person who's in a remote area? And well, what's the Bible say? It says if we look around in creation, we can see there's something beyond. And if we're willing to pursue the something beyond, God says if you seek me, you will, you will find me. He's not going to leave you on an island isolated and neglected for those who understand that there's something beyond. He will make a way. He will provide a way. And some of that's through the prodding of your heart and my heart. True? Shoe boxes are going to show up somewhere you and I will never set foot to share the gospel, share hope, to share what we're sharing here today. There was a sacrifice on your behalf that took away your sins that if you'll repent, you can be forgiven. Pretty simple, but that's the hope and the glory of Christmas. Right? That's what it's about. That's what stirs our hearts to sing, you know, angels we have heard on high or oh holy night or Jesus what a friend for sinners. Right? Those are the songs that draw in the sinner to remind us that he came to offer himself as a sacrifice to deal with our sins. See, just because sin has been paid for and dealt with doesn't mean that it's been applied to every person. Remember that song, Makes Me Think of My Grandpa. I can't remember the title of the song. I just remember the end of the chorus says, There to my heart was the blood applied. Remember that song? Is that what it's called? Glory to his name. I just remembered that here. There to my heart was the blood applied. 
I can remember having a conversation with my grandpa. Sorry for reminiscing here with my brother Travis just before he passed away. And this was the conversation we were having. And he was trying to explain to me how this worked. And even then he was just having a little bit of difficulty like making it crystal clear. And he understood that there was a part in our role to play. But he also understood we don't save ourselves. And so as a young, just out of college person... The way I was phrasing it is, well, we've got to do this, this, and this, and then that's how we get that salvation. No, son, that would be earned. Oh, that's right. And so he was trying to frame that, and I can remember how I was kneeling down next to his rocking chair, had my arm resting on his armrest as he's just sitting here trying to explain these truths to me. All right? So Jesus has come, offered himself as the sacrifice. He has done away with sin. He has taken it away. But for it to be applied, it must be received. Right? Lots of people believe in God and, and that there was a Jesus, but they've not received him as their Savior. That's very different. And so here, this is why we're talking about repentance. You know, there's a, a man we've had, a, I had a conversation with about 10 days ago. And just, I believe in the same Jesus you believe in. Really? He was a good prophet. Okay, well, I think he was more than a good prophet. Well, I believe he's coming again. Well, I believe he's coming in again as well. I believe he was God. Mm. I don't know that if I really believe that he was God. And so this is a young man we're praying for who hopefully will be here next Sunday who might walk through a process that we're talking about this Sunday. Come to an understanding that a once-for-all sacrifice came to take away his sins so that if he will repent, he can find life and forgiveness. Jesus came to call sinners everywhere to repentance. Listen to this. This is Jesus speaking out of the Gospel of Luke. I have not come to call the righteous, but who? Sinners. I've come to call sinners to repent. You think you don't need me. You do need me, but you're not going to call to me. You think you're right in your own standing. I'm calling those who understand that without me, they have no hope who understand that they are lost, that they are sinners in need of a Savior. So to find forgiveness, we must personally repent. All right, lots of scriptures, and we're not going to take time to read all these here, but in Matthew 4, you'll find Jesus there. He's just come out of the wilderness where he's being tempted, been tempted. You know what he does next? He goes out to preach. You know what he preaches in Matthew four seventeen? What do you think? Repentance, right? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. He then goes on to train his disciples. And he sits them down on the side of this mountain and he teaches them some wonderful truths. And after they get this first initial lesson, Jesus sends them out and he says, I want you to go into every village and town and I want you to preach. And you know what you're to preach? Repentance. And so the disciples went out everywhere and they performed some really powerful miracles but alongside that what they preached was God has come and we are sinners in need of a savior so we must repent you'll find that in Mark 6 verse 12 in Luke 3 you'll find John the Baptist and John's baptizing people and along baptizing them he's preaching a message of repentance when you get in the book of Acts you find Peter and John before the group of religious leaders and what do they say to them 
You are the ones who crucified the Son of God. His blood's on your hands. And unless you repent, you'll perish. And so they preach repentance several times there to the Jews. And now we see that the Gentiles can be saved. And so we're preaching repentance to the Gentiles. Saul becomes Paul. And now Paul's speaking to these Greeks and these Stoics, these people who are kind of world philosophers, and he's telling them, you're missing it. There's a Son of God who came. He's the Savior. He's the unknown God that I'm declaring to you, and what you must do is repent over and over and over again throughout the New Testament. You'll see this phrase, repent or repentance. So what does it mean? What does it mean to repent? Right? Initially, it means that we have an acknowledgement that there's something in our line, in our life that, that we need to repent of, that, that there's something in our life that's not correct. And so it starts with an acknowledgement of sin. Typically, that's prodded by a spirit, God's spirit, where you and I begin to understand that the guilt, the weight, the burden that I feel is not bad. It's placed there for my good to help me understand that I need a Savior. So we start by acknowledging we've sinned. Anybody sinned? Right? And all in favor said? Aye. All right? Maybe we're not in favor of sinning, but we have all can agree that we've all sinned. Okay? So we would all submit to that. We would acknowledge that. You know there are people on the planet who won't acknowledge that? They think the problem on this planet today is you and I. The only reason people have a guilt complex is because Christians keep running around telling them there's a God who's going to judge them because of their sin. And if we could shut up these people who keep talking about Jesus, we'd get rid of guilt. And so they don't believe in our God, and therefore they don't believe in the power and pressure of guilt to help draw a sinner to repentance. You've got to start there. You've got to acknowledge that you are a sinner. It's also to be sorrowful for your sin. Where there's a heaviness, right? And not just that I'm sorry that I've offended you, but I'm beginning to understand that I've offended God and that I stand opposed to him, rebellious, hostile to the one who has created me or who's drawing me or who seeks to forgive or restore me. And so there's a sorrow for our sin. There's a heaviness or a brokenness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Those are those who have a heaviness, a mourning, Lest are they that mourn. There's, there's a heaviness for our sin and also for those who are sinning around us. There's a confession that accompanies repentance. I've done that. That's my sin. All right? You didn't perform my sins. I haven't performed yours. I own mine. You've got to own yours as well. I have committed this sin. And God, I'm sorry for this sin. Uh, my heart is broken over this sin. And I confess this to you. Right? And it's in seeking them that forgiveness. Seeking that forgiveness. Asking God to take away our sin just as his word has promised he has. And then to submit our lives to Christ. Lots of things going on there in repentance. In a simple term, some say it's just like a turning away and a turning to. It's a change of mind. I used to think it was okay for me to live this way. And now in light of God, I know that's sin. And so as I repent, there's a mind change. As I repent... There's a redirecting, uh, redirection of my course. And so I was veering away from God. Or maybe I was a long way from God. And now I'm being reoriented, realigned with things that are true. And so this is why he came. 
He came here through this process to call sinners to repentance. And here's what Paul writes to Timothy as Paul's getting towards the end of his life. He says, Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners of whom I am the worst. And so he wants to make it very clear. Right? He did come in a manger. And there is a beautiful story there with the shepherds and the star that leads wise men and how that worked out. And that's just kind of one of those things that you'll just always wonder about. What was the star and why did it move and why did it stop and how did all that work? We love that. And to hear the, the angel chorus singing, right? And just to think of the prophets and what they foretold before Jesus came of where he would be born and how someone who had no idea of the birth of Christ says, hey, we need to take a census so everybody needs to go to their hometown. And so when Mary and Joseph do so, Scripture is fulfilled. Lots of beautiful prophecies, lots of beautiful things that we can just sit and wonder at the story of Christmas. But why he came, not the how, but the why he came, what we're saying here today is that he came to do away with sin. There was an old way of doing things, blood of goats and calves, but that was temporary and to point to the sacrifice, the newer way of doing things, right? When we get something new, we do away with something old. When the new came, the old was no longer necessary. And so we don't offer blood of bulls and goats anymore. We rest in the high priest who has entered the tabernacle, who is currently uh, advocating on our behalf for sinners uh, who have trusted in him uh, as our sacrifice, the one who has taken away our sins. And so because of this, God still calls people to repentance. You might remember there were a group of people who said, there's no God. If there were, then he would deal with sinners. It's the whole expression of, if there's a God, then strike me with lightning. And since he didn't just strike me with lightning, then I guess there is what? There's no God. God doesn't exist. That's real dumb theology, right? If you know God, the Old Testament says he's long-suffering. When you look at the story of the Israelites, wasn't he patient with them? Let's talk about our story. Has he been patient with you? Yeah. Patient with me? Absolutely. If he wasn't, we'd be like Ananias and Sapphira. We'd be sitting around telling a story, hopefully in heaven, that he's, if we had repented before that. You remember them? Lied, and all of a sudden, boom, struck dead. Your life is required of you this day, right now. And they checked out, right? The mere fact that we've sinned and we're still here, it just magnifies the patience and the loving kindness of God our direction. But some people thought because he hasn't judged us yet, he's not, he's not coming. It's not true. And Peter says, listen, it is true. His slowness isn't because he's indifferent or doesn't exist. What you consider slowness is just simply the patience of God. Because God's not willing that any of these people perish, but that all do what? But that all repent. That all repent. So that all might be saved. And all can do that because there was a sacrifice who came. And he laid himself down on a cross. And on that cross, he nailed our sin debt. And he's taken it away. 
And he's done away with the old and he's brought in this new. And what he says is, is for anybody who will repent, right, I will forgive their sin and I will welcome them in as, as my family. Forgiveness will become your home. It will make its home within you. And so again, this is why he came. He came to confirm the promises. He came to conquer the power of Satan. He came to offer himself as a sacrifice to do away with sin so that for those who would repent, they could find the hope and joy in life that we talk about this time of year. So if this is why he came, initially I just wonder then, have you repented of your sins? I, I know I've told you before, but we can sit in services a long time, years, and never repented. And you could tell me what I've told you today probably much better than I've shared it with you and still have never repented. And so I just wonder, have you come through this process? Have you acknowledged your sin? Not just mentally said, okay, I believe there's a God and I believe in His Son, Jesus. No, I believe I have sinned and my sin has violated a holy God. And I feel the burden of that sin. I know I'm guilty. It's mine. I acknowledge it, and so I confess it. Right? That doesn't mean we have to confess every sin. We probably cannot remember every sin we've confessed. But as broken sinners, we come before the Lord just asking for forgiveness. I confess these things. I know that I've sinned against you. And as we confess, we confess him as the Lord of our life as well. Will you just forgive my sin uh, and help me this day to live my life for your glory? Have you ever done that? I mean, that's where that all takes place. That's where you move from all sins in the world have been taken care of to my sins are forgiven. Remember, there's a difference between the two. And so I wonder, have you repented? If not, man, today's a great day. Right? Why put that off any longer? Right now, if God's drawing you close there, repent. Listen to the words of Christ. The kingdom of God is near. Listen to the words of the disciples. If you don't repent, you will perish. That's not pastor rhetoric. That's not scare people out of hell into heaven preaching. That's the words of Christ. And if you have done so, then I, so we pray, man, just take time to thank God that he has drawn your heart, that he put some guilt pressure on your life to help you see your need of a Savior so that in return and brokenness, humility, you called out to him to save you, and he did. Uh, and he's walking with you. He's hand in hand. He's side by side. He's changing you. He's patient with you. And he desires to use you to help other people hear this message. Right? Lots of people live around us who aren't in this building or other buildings like this today. And they need to know that there was a sacrifice given on their behalf to do away with their sin. And they need to hear the truth so they can repent. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is their only hope. And find the truth and forgiveness that you and I have this day.